Amen. Good evening. Good to see all of you out tonight. Acts chapter 3. I entitled this chapter, The Beautiful Thing That Happened at the Beautiful Gate. Acts chapter 3. As I said before our worship time, the baptism of the Holy Spirit took place in Acts chapter 1. All who believed were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. One baptism. Paul says we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, 1 Corinthians. Every true believer has been baptized into the Holy Spirit and has the Holy Spirit indwelling them, taking up residence. Acts chapter 2, the filling of the Spirit. You and I experience one baptism, but throughout our Christian life, multiple fillings. We are filled with the Holy Spirit when we yield to him, when we yield control, when we yield leadership, when we yield his influence primarily in our life. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are, as believers, things begin to happen. Things begin to happen. And the Holy Spirit begins to take over our lives and, and in a sense, flex his muscle as the third person of the Trinity, as God of very God. What can we glean from Acts chapter 3? Well, again, these, these chapters in Acts, and we're taking it just a chapter time, they're packed full. So let me just say up front, there is no way we cover everything each week. These are just the things that God has laid on my heart to share with us as a church at this particular time. I do a study of the book of Acts a couple years from now, and it might look totally different. But for tonight, here's some of the things that God wanted me to point out. Again, you have right off the bat the importance of spiritual partnerships in life and ministry. Notice that it's Peter and John, verse 1, Peter and John, verse 3, Peter and John, verse 11. God never wants us to do life and ministry alone. He wants us to do it not only in partnership with him, but in partnership with those that he leads us to be partners with. We are on a spiritual battlefield. God doesn't expect us to be out there on the front lines of the spiritual battle all by ourselves, taking the arrows from the enemy alone. We are to go in tandem. We are to go as he sent out his disciples, two by two. Again, that principle is emphasized in the book of Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one. Usually when you have a partnership, when one is up, the other one might be down, but they're usually not both down at the same time so that one of them can pick the other one up. They can mutually encourage and support and help one another and strengthen one another as iron sharpens iron. Partnerships. If you have a partner, thank God for them. If you don't, pray for one because you don't want to be out there on the spiritual battlefield all alone. Notice also in verse 1, Peter and John are an example of ones who lived with discipline, consistency. They developed godly habits. 
It says they were going up to the temple at the time for prayer. They made time to go to the house of God every day, and they made time for prayer. By the way, notice something, though. They were still doing sacrifices at this time, but notice they weren't going up to the temple to offer sacrifices. That sacrifice in their minds had already been made that took care of all the other sacrifices. So they weren't going up to offer a sacrifice as they used to. They were simply going up to pray and to be a witness for God in the temple. How much courage did that take? And remember, here's the difference that the Holy Spirit is already making in their lives. We're talking about Peter, the guy that was scared to death and denied the Lord three times when when people started to question whether he was a follower of Christ. And now he's marching boldly right into the temple. That's the difference that the Holy Spirit can make in our life. Verse 2, there was a man lame from birth who had been carried up and strategically placed at the temple gate called the beautiful gate every day so he could beg for money from those going into the temple courts. Pretty intentional and pretty smart. People would be inclined to maybe be more generous as they go into the house of God, more merciful. And so there he is, sitting day after day, right at the entrance of the beautiful gate. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple courts, verse 3, he asked them for money. But Peter looked directly at him, as did John, and said, look at us. I want us to stop there. Those three words are powerful, and I don't want us to move past those words too quickly. Why does Peter and John want this man to look at them? Is it pride? Did did they want his attention on them? No, 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 no. They are exuding the confidence that they have something to offer this man. And the reason I want to pause here is because we need to develop that kind of confidence. We need to carry ourselves in such a way that people can sense and see in us and that there are times where we even, like Peter and John, say, hey, look to me. I have someone or something that I want to offer you for the need that you have. That's the way God wants us to, as disciples, carry ourselves throughout our life. Again, we're not drawing attention to ourselves. But as Christians, we have something to offer people who have needs. So the lame man paid attention to them, expecting to receive some kind of money, right? Notice he wasn't even expecting any kind of healing. He was just trying to get money every day to get by. That's as far as his expectation went. I'm going to be lame for the rest of my life, but money will at least help sort of ease the situation that I'm in. 
make it a little bit more able to navigate. But notice Peter's response. This is also very rich. I have no silver or gold. In a sense, Peter is saying, I don't have the monetary gifts, the material gifts that you're looking for from me. And something that I think God is also reminding us of is that money can't help every situation. Though we live in a world where it's all about money, money can't solve everyone's problems. Money can't make this man walk again, that's for sure. And sometimes even as Christians, we look at our material resources and we go, well, I don't have the material resources to be able to help my situation or someone else's situation. But that might not always be the answer. We need to learn, like Peter and John, to look past the material, physical resources that we may be lacking because we have something way more valuable. And that's exactly what Peter says next. He says, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, stand up and walk. What I do have, I give you. Again, that's a philosophy, if you will, of living life that we should carry with us every day. Not only being mindful that we should exude a confidence as we carry ourselves through the day that we have someone or something to offer people in need at all times. And when we are asking them to give us their attention, we're not asking them to do it for our sakes, but because of what we have that can benefit and bless them. And secondly... Sometimes we don't step in and offer anything because, again, we're looking simply at a lacking of physical, material uh, resources in our life that we don't have any more than Peter and John have, and yet we have something way more valuable. And here's the thing. God never will ask us to give something to someone in ministry or in meeting a need that we don't already have. And too often we withhold what we already have because we're waiting on God to give us something else or more. And God wants us to learn to give him what we already have and then let him work with it and use it and show us it's not what we give him. In fact, he created the universe out of nothing. So he doesn't need a lot to work with. I mean, over and over and over again, this principle is taught in the scriptures, whether it's here or the story of the five loaves and two fish or some of the other Old Testament stories where they had very little and yet God kept multiplying. And so God wants us to carry ourselves through life realizing what do I have right now? What is it that I can give to the Lord 
or give to someone else right now. Instead of thinking, God, you need to give me this before I can begin to minister or serve or meet someone's need or whatever, God is saying, what do you already have? Give that and then watch me work. And notice Peter is declaring the power and authority of the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Why does he say it that way? Because in the Bible, the name of God is very significant. The name of God was God's self-revelation. It was who God, down through history, has revealed himself to be. And obviously, if you study the names of God, there's about a hundred of them in the Bible. And there could be a million of them. Because if you had even a billion names for God, it would not be exhaustive in capturing all that God is. But what God has revealed through his name is enough for us. And it should be enough for us to place our faith in him and then enough for us to call other people to place their faith in him. And that's exactly what Peter and John are doing here with this lame man. They're saying, because we know who Jesus had, has revealed himself to be, his name, the summation of who he's revealed himself to be, we saw him heal. We saw him cast out demons. We saw him raise the dead. We've heard him preach sermons. We also saw the risen Jesus after he conquered the grave and hell. We have seen all this. And so we know who he has revealed himself to be. And everything that Jesus has revealed himself to be that sort of is summarized in his name, we're telling you he's enough to heal you. So in his name, you stand up and walk. When you think about throughout the Bible all the times that the name of God is emphasized, Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Proverbs 18, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are set safely on high. In Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, what does he say? Our Father who, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The name of God should carry great weight with us as those who say we believe in his name. Because to say we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, is to say we believe everything that he has revealed himself to be while he was here on earth. We believe that about him. Therefore, we believe that in every situation, he is sufficient, he is enough. And therefore, we call upon the power and authority in his name and behind his name when God the Spirit leads us to. And God the Spirit was leading Peter and John to heal this man through the name of Jesus Christ. And notice what Peter Asked this man to do. 
he asked this man to stand up and walk, to do what is impossible for him to do. The man's lame. He can't stand up and walk. Oh, yes, he can. Sometimes, even in our life, God will ask us to do what's impossible for us to do and want to see, do we believe in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that maybe we're not sufficient or enough, but he is, and he can do anything through us. Paul said that in Philippians 4.13. I can. It's never a question of whether I can or not in the Lord. And so he asked this man to do what is impossible for this man to do. But then I want you to notice this, and this is important. Peter does not expect this man to not need some kind of encouragement for his faith. So notice what Peter physically does. Verse 7. He takes hold of him by his right hand and raises him up. That's such a beautiful picture. In a sense, what God is teaching us here is we can call people to faith in Jesus, but it's also important for us who already believe in Jesus to, in a sense, encourage that faith in some way. In a sense, to give them a right hand and, and sort of bring them, if you will. You see, this isn't a perfect illustration, and it's certainly not the only illustration of this, but I will use it tonight as an illustration. Instead of inviting someone to come to church some Sunday, invite them to come, but then say, I'll come by and pick you up. That's the right hand. That's going a little bit further in saying, I'm not going to expect somebody who's never come to our house of worship to come on their own by themselves. I'll come with them. That will make them more comfortable. I'll give them the right hand and encourage their faith by offering to pick them up as I come to the house of God. That's what Peter was doing. Yes, he said, do what is impossible for you to do. But then he reaches out his right hand and brings him up. And the Bible says at once, immediately, because that's when you know God's in it, is God immediately healed this man completely. And the man's feet and ankles were made strong. And he jumped up and began to do what he could never do before. He began walking around, entering the temple courts with them, walking and leaping and worshiping and praising God. That's a great response. This man was obviously thrilled with his healing, but he also was not so caught up in his healing that he didn't take time to thank the Lord who healed him. Unlike, say, the lepers that Jesus healed, and only one came back. But 
notice here that worshiping in verse 8 is more of his personal thanksgiving to God. But also notice in verse 9 that worship can also be a witness. That our worship can be both private, but it can also be and should be public. Because in verse 9 it says, all the people saw him walking and praising or worshiping God. And they recognized him as the man who used to sit and ask for donations at the beautiful gate of the temple. This is an important phrase. They recognized him. It means to learn something by experience. God many times will lead us so that we learn things about him and from him by experience. He wants us to not just capture him through our mind and in growing in our knowledge, but also to capture him and engage with him by experience, experientially coming to know God. And notice when the Spirit also began to work through the people of God, one of the other byproducts, it not only brought healing to this man, but all were filled, verse 10, with astonishment and amazement at what happened. Literally, a sense of awe and wonder. God wants to always fill his people with awe and wonder of who he is and what he can do. And that's why God wants us to Keep believing in the God without any limitations. Because when we have that kind of faith in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and who he's revealed himself to be, then there's nothing that we won't ask him for. Nothing that's too out there for him. Nothing too hard or too difficult for him to tackle. No situation. Nothing. And when God then begins to move, oh my goodness, he fills his people with a sense of awe and wonder at who he is. God wants to do the same thing at the Oasis Church. Folks, he's been moving and he's been working and he's been answering prayers and working in people's lives. And many of you are being filled with a greater sense of awe and wonder at your God and who he is and what he can do. And, and your opinion of him is growing and getting even greater than it's ever been. But folks, he wants to do even more. More. That's what he keeps impressing upon me. Jeff, I want you all at the Oasis to not be satisfied with where you're at, but to realize there's even more out there of me to capture, more out there of, of me to experience, more of me to, to, to manifest my power in, in your presence and to show you what I can do. I want to flex my muscles in your presence, in your midst. I want to show you as your God what I can do. You keep believing in me and in my name of who I've revealed myself to be. Well, then we get to the rest of the passage. And the rest of the passage 
It's basically Peter stepping forward as the spokesperson and saying, it's not us, it's Jesus. Deflecting all glory and all attention from themselves and on to Jesus. Reminding all that he rose from the dead and his ministry is continuing through his followers who are now indwelt with his Holy Spirit that he sent from heaven when he went there. And yet he is still very active in and through his followers. He, Jesus, is flexing his holy muscles. He's doing it, though, through his people now. So notice verse 11. While the man was hanging on to Peter and John, all the people, completely astounded, ran together to Solomon's portico. And when Peter saw this, he declared to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why are you staring at us as if we made this man walk by our own power or piety? It's not us. It's Jesus. And I love what Peter says. He says, and why are you amazed? Do you not know who our God is? Do you not know what our God can do? Have you not heard what our God has already done? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our forefathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Oh, so much here. I, I could preach a whole message on this because one of the things that Peter is doing here is he's teaching us how to read the Old Testament. Because notice, he's basically saying, there really isn't two testaments. It's one story. It is one continuous story. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was simply pointing everybody to Jesus. Old Testament's about Jesus, but he hadn't yet come. New Testament's about Jesus and what he's done when he's here and now through his people until he comes back. But it's all centered in Jesus. And I love the fact, and, and he does this purposefully again. And note something here again. This is the guy that denied the Lord because he was frightened and scared to, to, to put himself out there. And now, here he is, not only healing this man through the Holy Spirit, but now he's pretty bold and, and not holding anything back and saying, uh, this is what it is. And you do to me whatever you want to do to me. But he's also through the Holy Spirit, again, learning to put the Old Testament together and figuring things out as far as passages of the Old Testament and how they fit in to what's going on now or how it relates to the Messiah, to Jesus. And notice specifically through the leadership of the Holy Spirit that he notes here, he uses the word servant, Jesus. Because that would have been significant to the Jew. That would have reminded them of passages like Isaiah 53, the servant of the Lord. Because again, why did the Jews miss Messiah the first time? Because they did not embrace the servant passages. And the servant passages for the Messiah were just as significant as the kingly passages where he rules and reigns over his kingdom one day on earth. But they concentrated on that part 
and missed the servant and suffering servant part. And notice how bold Peter is. He says in verse 13 and 14 and 15, you're the ones that handed him over. You rejected him, the holy and righteous one. Oh, and by the way, you killed him. Boy, the difference that the Holy Spirit can make in someone's life. A few weeks ago, he's cowering in a corner. He's distancing himself. He doesn't want anybody to connect him to Jesus. And now he's standing up in the temple with hundreds of people around, basically pointing the finger at them and saying to those who've rejected him and were part of the crucifixion, Yep, you did it. But obviously he goes on to say, oh, but God raised him up. Because God has the last word. And we are witnesses of that because we have seen the risen Christ. And, and we cannot not speak about his resurrection. But now notice what he says in verse 16. And on the basis of faith in Jesus' name... His very name has made this man whom you see and know strong. Notice something there. Peter is not talking about the man who was healed. He's talking about the faith that he and John had in the name of Jesus Christ. Because they never asked this man to demonstrate any kind of faith in Jesus before he all he all they said to the man was you stand up and walk and Peter lifted out his hand and raised him up they didn't ask him believe in the Lord Jesus have faith in the Lord Jesus they didn't call him to faith when when Peter is referencing the basis of faith Peter's saying it was on the basis of our faith in who we knew our Jesus to be that this man was healed because this man didn't need to exercise faith in order to be healed. Not that sometimes God doesn't call people to faith in order to be healed. But at this instant, he didn't. This is Peter talking about himself. And, and that says something to you and I. That I, I think it, we are challenged by that statement. Because I think there's sometimes where God wants to do more in our midst and more through us, but we don't have the basis of faith in who Jesus is in order for God to demonstrate it. And in a sense, flex his muscles. Peter and John did. And I think we are all then encouraged to make sure that our faith is building in who our Jesus and in his name and who he revealed himself to be. And that we have faith that our Jesus can do anything and everything. When faith is placed in Jesus, even by those that do not have the need, notice the results in verse 16. Strength and wholeness. His very name and faith in his very name has made this man whom you see and know strong. Literally means to strengthen. When those who are healed obviously are strengthened, but Peter is also saying when you and I exercise faith in Jesus Christ, guess who else is strengthened? We are. Every time you and I exercise faith 
in Jesus Christ, we are strengthened. In a sense, we are exercising our faith muscle, and it is growing in strength every time we exercise faith in him. So it not only benefits the person that we're calling to faith or that we're ministering to, it benefits us as well. And then he goes on to say, this man was also given complete health. In the Greek, it means wholeness. This man was made whole through faith, our faith in Jesus. Oh, in the presence of you all. And then Peter says, he begins to continue his sermon, if you will. He says, you acted in ignorance as your rulers did too, but the things God foretold, verse 18, long ago through all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. So what are the people to do? The people that still do not believe, they are to, verse 19, repent. Peter, in a sense, is saying, if you don't have faith in Jesus up to this point, then I am calling you to repentance. I am calling you to have a change of heart because that's what repentance is. And we talked several weeks about how you and I, like Lydia, need to have a heart that has been opened by the Lord so that we will respond to him. That's what Peter's calling upon these people to do, to be open to the Lord, opening their heart to him. And then Peter says, if you turn to the Lord and have a change of heart, there's going to be three things that happen. And all three of them start out with the word so that. Most of the time when you see the, that phrase in the New Testament, they are what we call purpose statements. Here's what's going to happen, Peter says. First, your sins will be wiped out. Notice he doesn't say forgiven. He even goes a step further. He said, no, they're erased. They're not just forgiven. They're literally erased. They're wiped out. You can't see them anymore as far as God's concerned. They're thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, as the prophet says in the Old Testament. That's pretty great. That would be good enough. But then Peter goes on to say there's something else God wants to do besides just wiping out your sins. He wants the times of refreshing to come into your life. Oh, that's what God wants to send into our lives. When we believe and trust in the Lord Jesus and turn to him, not only do we have the assurance that our sins have been wiped out through the blood of Jesus Christ, but God wants to send through his Holy Spirit times of refreshing, time to catch our breath, time for the cool breezes of God to blow through our midst. And boy, could we use some cool breezes right now. But even more significant than cool physical breezes, there's nothing like a cool spiritual breeze from God. That refreshment that can only come from God. And that's one of the promises of us being even filled with the Spirit, is that when you and I allow the Spirit to fill us, we not only will have a growing assurance that we are the child of God, but God will wash over us with a refreshing and refresh our spirit and our soul. But then notice specifically to this Jewish audience what else Peter says. He says he also 
when you as a nation repent and turn to the Lord, he then is going to send the Messiah back because that Messiah, Jesus, has been appointed for you. And that's the second coming of Jesus. Because notice, he says in verse 21, this one, Jesus, heaven must receive until the time all things are restored or resolved. And that's not going to happen until Jesus comes back and sets up his earthly kingdom. But what Peter is saying to us, even if we're Gentiles in that statement, is he's encouraging us by reminding us the best is yet to come and we are just pilgrims passing through. Because one day you and I live in the hope every day that God is going to bring resolution and resolve and restoration to everything. Because notice, he uses the word all. All things will one day be restored by God, and we get to look forward to that. Oh, what a day that will be. One final thing, Peter says, verse 26. He says to his audience, listen, God raised up, and notice he uses the word servant again. God raised up his servant and sent him to you first to do what? Bless you. To bless you. Not to judge you. Not to condemn you. To bless you. And that same truth is for us as well. Why did God the Father send his son Jesus to earth? to bless us. Are we living in the blessing of God? And notice that that blessing is spelled out here, specifically in verse 26, by turning each one of you from your iniquity, a work that only God can do, a miracle, a supernatural work where God takes those of us who are trapped in the kingdom of darkness under the bondage of sin and through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus breaks that bondage, removes us from the kingdom of darkness, transfers us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son, and blots out all of our sin and sends his Holy Spirit into our life to give us times of refreshing. What a God. What a God. I want to go back to two phrases and just leave you with this. I want these to be settling in here, in your spirit. The first phrase is, look at us. Are we carrying ourselves like Peter and John through our life, exuding the confidence that they had that we have someone or something to offer those in need? And the second phrase is, what I have. I don't have silver and gold. I can't solve your problem with money or material resources, but here's what I do have. I have Jesus, and he's the greatest wealth anyone could ever have. And so what I do have, I'm going to give you, and that's more than all the riches of this world. God is never going to ask us to give what we don't have. He's going to say, what have I already given you? Give that to them. Give that to me, and that will be more than enough. Father, we thank you tonight 
for the beautiful thing that happened at the beautiful gate. This dear man who had been lame from birth, who never walked a day in his life, and yet when he woke up that day, he never expected what he received by going to the temple that day. He expected a day like any other day. I'm hoping to receive some alms from some people as they go into the temple. Ah, oh, but that day, Lord, you had something way better planned for that man. You were going to bring him into connection and contact with two of your followers, Peter and John. And because of their faith in the name of their Lord Jesus Christ, you were able to minister to this man through them. And a miracle took place. Oh, God. May we realize that we are connected and partnering with a God who has no limits and no limitations. God, we have our limits. Dr. Luke had his limits. There's no way he could heal this man with his conventional medical knowledge. But God, you can do miracles. You can do anything. You can bring healing and wholeness to anyone. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that we will leave here even more, Lord, sure of the God that we are connected to and even more encouraged by what we know, God, your power and your authority can do, even through those of us that are so weak and frail and feeble and fragile. God, you can do anything if we make ourselves available. May we be like Peter and John, making ourselves available to you every day and allowing your spirit to lead us to where you want us to go and to who you want us to meet that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.